Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It all began with an evangelical Christian group, one of many in Kenya and across Africa. Every week, at the Good News International Church, people would meet to pray and sing together. But at some point, after the pandemic broke out, everything began to change, and prayer meetings became something more sinister. We would gather every Saturday, and the pastor would tell us the world was coming to an end. He said we should fast and die, because if we delayed, heaven would be full. People were being told to fast until they died. But no congregation would follow that, would they? Last month, Police officers in Kenya descended on a local forest, and what they found there was unimaginable. It's been called one of the worst crimes in modern-day Kenyan history. More than 200 bodies have been discovered in a forest, including some of children have been exhumed from the shallow graves in the Shakahola forest. Kenyan police continue to unearth corpses in shallow graves in the coastal town of Malindi, thought to be followers of a Christian cult. I should warn you, this episode does contain descriptions of how people, including children, died en masse in a Kenyan forest. And that might not be something you can hear today, in which case, do come back and find us tomorrow. But if you want to understand how a cult could compel hundreds of people to leave their homes, move to a forest and face certain death, and why nothing was done to stop it sooner, then stick with us. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the Kenyan death cult, where the children starved first. I'm Matthew Campbell, and I'm the Foreign Features Editor at the Sunday Times. 
Matthew, you've been looking into a really startling story. And it's a story that really begins in the Shakahola Forest in Kenya. Tell us a little bit about that. You know, where is it? And if you were, as you recently have been, if you were there, just describe what you'd see. I went to the Shakahola Forest. It's about a 90-minute drive northwest of Malini, which is a, a sort of sweltering town on the coast of Kenya. And it's between two quite well-known Kenyan tourist destinations, actually. One is the Savo National Park, the famous game park. And then the other is the Indian Ocean coast of Kenya, which is very popular with kite surfers and tourists generally. And you drive into what looks like increasingly good agricultural land with small farm holdings and shacks by the side of the road. As you go more and more into the wilderness, though, this gives way to that sun-scorched wasteland of scrub bush, really. And then at a certain point, the police have set up a camp, basically. They've put up tents. There's a, a large police presence there and places for the forensic investigators to change into their white coveralls and get to work. They've been working there every day for weeks now, since the 15th of April, when this story broke. They've been working day and night on what was a very dark discovery that came to light in April. Just tell us what they found. They found shallow graves scattered around the forest after being alerted by people who told them that dozens of members of a religious cult effectively had decided to starve themselves to death in the forest. What sort of numbers are we talking about? Well, since the investigation began and since police started basically exhuming bodies in the forest, the number of the dead has climbed virtually every day. It stands at above 240. At the same time, there are hundreds of people missing, over 600. And these are people who were associated with this religious cult. And so ultimately, the number of dead is expected to grow further. Just explain what this religious cult was and why people would be willingly starving themselves to death. Well, this is a doomsday Christian cult. It was run by a so-called pastor called Paul McKenzie, and he's a former taxi driver turned evangelist who set up his own church in 2003 in Melindi. The Good News International Church, as he called it, and he started out as a fairly typical fire and brimstone style evangelist preacher. These evangelist churches have proliferated across Africa in the past two decades or so. Kenya is a very Christian country. About 85% of Kenyans are Christian. And so he rapidly developed quite a following from his headquarters in Malindi. He bought a plot of land there and built a hall in which he held large gatherings with thousands of supporters. And then, of course, this turned into a gospel channel on the television. 
that beamed his fiery sermons across Africa, not just Kenya. Most of his teachings are on his YouTube channel, where he boasts of almost 6,000 subscribers. He speaks against the health system, the justice system, security agencies, education sector, government, as well as other religious leaders. And his following grew even further. He was convinced that the end of the world was upon us. And in 2019, he told them that he was relocating to the forest from his headquarters in Malindi and took over about 800 acres of it, encouraging his followers to sell their possessions and join him in this wilderness, which he called the New Holy Land. And the followers were allotted bits of land. Some of them were told that they could buy land from him. They were divided into communities with biblical names, like Bethlehem, Judea, Tyre, Sidon. Galilee was where Mackenzie built his own home. Unlike the homes of his followers, it was pretty well equipped, I understand. So this is a cult that is, you know, loosely based on an understanding of Christianity. As you say, evangelical Christianity is very popular in a lot of Africa. What made his particular brand of it distinctive? Well, having started you know, in a fairly inoffensive manner. As the years went by, he became increasingly apocalyptic, as it were. His sermons became more extreme, and he started talking about the evils of education and healthcare. Now, this is when he alienated some of his followers He started telling them that they should not send their children to school and they should not send them to hospital when they were ill. So this is when the authorities first basically came to notice him. He came onto the radar of the Kenyan police. This was in 2015. And he was questioned. No further action was taken. I mean, that's pretty alarming to be discouraging children from going to school or or from using healthcare in Africa where, you know, it's not always available anyway. You know, getting it is hard enough. At what point, though, does it go from an evangelical church into a full-blown death cult? How does that transformation happen? Well, this started in 2019 when he decided to relocate to the forest I think COVID in some ways played into his apocalyptic narrative, increasing Ah. the appeal of his land offer, perhaps, to people. You know, if you follow me into the forest, you can buy land. We can all be together. The end of the world is coming. And so it attracted hundreds of people. And this is where his advice to begin fasting came in. He said that if they stopped eating, they would meet Jesus by starving themselves to death people I spoke to who was actually one of Mackenzie's deputies told me that there was a a plan to how the starvation would unfold, which is that the women would basically starve their children first. And then the women themselves would starve and then the men. And at the end of this chain, the pastor himself and his family would, would starve themselves. 
I mean, you really do start to get a sense of a cult there because to be able to persuade mothers to starve their children is far from a normal religious experience. I know you've spoken to some of the victims, I suppose, some of the people who lost their families in this cult. Tell us a bit about a man you met who that had happened to. Yes, Stephen Wheatey uh, lives in Melindi, basically in a, in a slum, and I met him in his one-room home. He's 45 years old, and he sells fried bread on the streets of Melindi. He told me that his wife and their five children had left to live in the forest last year, and that his wife at the time was pregnant and had had a sixth child in the forest, a son. He was devastated by what he had learned about their experience. My children are dead. I know that for sure. The young men who told me about my children had been living in the forest since 2021. They told me the names of my children and they did not even know me. They told me my children had been starved to death. His wife was dead too, and that when she gave birth to this child, it had been suffocated by a cult member in the belief that it would go straight to heaven. A newborn baby? Yes. And the mother didn't object? Apparently not. The belief by then was that, you know, they were all going to die and that if the baby was suffocated, it would, you know, it would be quicker. And they had all clapped and celebrated, basically, when this baby had been suffocated. That's what he told me. And this is what he had heard from survivors. I can't imagine how awful it must be to learn that your entire family has died in that way. How does he explain how they all went off into the forest? I mean, did he realise what would happen when they did? And how did he end up staying behind? Well, it's a tragic story and very distressing. And he is completely devastated by what has happened. He was in tears for a lot of our interview, talking about this with great difficulty. What happened is that his wife became addicted to the television broadcasts of the pastor. And he showed me there was a little television in pride of place in his home. Beneath it was a decoder box, which he picked up and showed me. And this was the decoder that you needed to be able to tune in to Mackenzie's sermons. And this is what he blamed on the tragedy. He said that his wife would sit there watching these sermons. When he came home in the evenings, she would be there watching and that she became effectively brainwashed by Mackenzie, who promised to take her to heaven. I don't think he necessarily spelt out in any of his broadcasts that the plan was mass starvation and death in the forest. In fact, he denies that at any point he advised anyone to fast. And certainly in his sermons, if you listen to them, some of them are still available on YouTube. He doesn't talk about people starving to death. I think it was only later in the forest when he would have you know, regular sermons in, in the forest that he started telling them, we're going to stop eating and we're going to go to heaven. 
So all these people who had brought their children in the hope of some kind of heavenly communion, some sort of, you know, great universal rescue at the end, at some point would have been in this forest and then told this was effectively a death cult. I think you're right. And at that point, some of them tried to escape. Of course, all of these people have uh, mobile phones and were able to communicate with their loved ones in other places. When word got out, that's when some people decided that either they would try and rescue their loved ones, which is what Stephen Wheaty did. He decided that he would try and get them back. However, he was unable to find his wife and family, he told me. He was confronted by what he described as scouts with clubs who in the end told him to go away. Stephen was threatened and forced to flee. But as he and others managed to escape the forest, they could now raise the alarm. Coming up, as police arrive to investigate in the forest, they're shocked by what they find. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, Matthew, you've got this horrendous situation where some of the people have managed to escape. They've sent out an alert People are trying to rescue their own families, but they're being beaten away by some of the security around the forest. At what point does the police get involved? And at what point do they realise that something awful is happening there? The first police presence in the forest was in March. And Mackenzie was taken in for questioning about the possibility that he had been encouraging people to starve to death. Uh, he was released on bail and returned and basically accelerated the death plan, it seems. Talking to survivors, that's the impression that I got. 
Oh, so rather than helping, the police presence actually accelerated the plan. Well, it may have done. And there's an investigation going on into to all this at the moment. And so, you know, more and more details are emerging about what happened. But the police have come in for a lot of fire about their failure to act sooner. And the government also is under fire for not having been able to detect what was going on in this forest for so long. And you've been speaking to people who were involved in that police operation in the forest, in particular one man, Titus Katana. Tell us a bit about him. Yes, well, he joined the church years ago, along with his family, his wife and six children. And he talks about the pastor as someone he once respected greatly and admired, and he became his deputy, in fact. But he says that he fell out with him over his increasingly extreme preaching, and particularly when he started talking about the evils of education. So he split with the pastor. However, unfortunately, his wife and children went with the church into the forest in 2019. And unlike uh, Stephen Wheaty, who was unable to even see his family, because he was a formerly a respected member of the church himself and one of Mackenzie's deputies, was able to rescue his wife and his six children in January this year. And he, because of his links with the church, has been helping police with their investigation and helping to identify sites where bodies were buried. And he provided really quite grim and chilling details of what went on in that camp. He said that they were killed with blunt objects. Blunt objects? Yeah, maybe pieces of wood, machetes. And uh, they, they were tied, when they are excavating, some of them they find they are tied with, with wires on their heads, on their hands, and their, their legs, and even around the neck. The bodies they've exhumed also have included people with uh, wrists tied with wire. Some of them have shown signs of being bludgeoned. So these weren't all willing victims of this cult? It seems not, and the investigation is going on, but it would seem clear that some people rebelled, perhaps, and were then murdered. He is under under investigation, Mackenzie, for various crimes, including murder. He denies that. What else were they able to find? A senior police officer said that some of the bodies had organs missing. And this prompted lots of speculation about whether or not there was involvement of some organ trafficking ring. But there's been no confirmation that this is what happened. When you spoke to Titus Katana, the man who had been the deputy in this cult before it became more extreme, what did he say about Paul McKenzie, about the leader? Was he able to explain what it was about him that was able to convince so many people? I think he was clearly very persuasive and his preaching appealed to the masses. He gave these very entertaining sermons in the sense that they were very dramatic, and that as often is the case, I think, in this milieu. This is a form of entertainment, in a sense. Somebody preaching about the end of the world, the rapture, 
It's all very dramatic stuff, and I guess it beats the uh, soap operas. And what's happened to him now? You know, we've got a forest full of bodies, but where is Paul McKenzie? Where is the leader of the cult? He is in police custody in Mombasa, and he's been accused of various crimes, and at some point will no doubt be put on trial. The government of Kenya will do whatever it takes to make sure that we convict Mr. Mackenzie and all those who helped him perpetrate his heinous crimes. And Matthew, how unusual is what's happened here? We know that evangelical Christianity is very big across, across Africa, but how often does it get perverted into a cult like this by a local leader? I think this is an unusual case in Africa, although there have been other examples of poor, desperate people being abused by these churches. There have been cases in Kenya of people being asked to donate money to a particular church in exchange for good luck. The pastor tells them that if they donate the prayers that he offers on their behalf will bring them rich dividends down the road. Across Africa, there's a fight for the soul of Christianity. Rogue pastors are exploiting the trust and belief of their followers for profit and power. As extreme religious movements fake miracles and even commit murder in the name of Christ. Kenya is a very religious country, and so these churches are prevalent. There are hundreds of them, and indeed the president, William Ruto, is a fervent evangelist believer. He has been wary in the past of imposing restrictions on these churches. But this case obviously has raised questions about the limits of religious freedom in evangelical Christianity. What we are seeing in Kilifi, in Shakahola, is akin to terrorists. There is no difference between Mr. Mackenzie, who pretends and postures as a pastor, when in fact he is a terrible criminal. And this is just a really chilling story to hear. I can't imagine how disturbing it must have been to be there, to see how it had all unfolded. What effect did it have on you, going out there and seeing the forest and some of the survivors? Well, I think that the hardest moment was not so much in the forest as in Melindi when I met Stephen Wheaty in his home It was just so heartbreaking to see what he was going through. And he lived in very humble surroundings with just this one television and a bed, basically, in his room and nothing much else in terms of possessions. But then he picked up this Czech, blue Czech shirt and held it up to me and explained that this had been the school uniform of his eldest son, Samuel. 
and he pressed it against his face as if to sort of breathe in a memory of him and explained that his wife had been a seamstress and made all of the school uniforms for the children. And through the open door outside, I could see children walking along a red earth path wearing the same shirt on their way to school. It was early in the morning. And it was just so sad, really, to see that. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, the Foreign Features Editor for The Times and The Sunday Times, Matthew Campbell. You can find all of Matthew's work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription, including his investigation into alleged corruption in the European Parliament linked to the World Cup in Qatar. If you prefer listening to it, we've got a podcast about it that you can find on our podcast page. The producer today was Priyanka Deladia. The executive producers were Kate Ford and James Shield. And sound design was by David Crackles. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.